0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome in Lake is Live. It is Tuesday night, January 5th, the year of our Lord, 2023, when I am college football commissioner tailgating at a national championship game and whether you can do it or not will be among the least of your concerns. I've got your back. When it comes time to go to the ballot box in this alternate universe where we vote on such things, make sure you have my back. We're jam packed. We're high atop a pleasant downtown Nashville, Tennessee. We are so jam packed tonight. I know I say it all the time because we pretty much are all the time. Just a little bit extra on the side of jam packed tonight. We've got full national championship preview prediction. We're gonna. Hit it from every angle imaginable, and once you leave here tonight, you'll at least know one definitive stance on how that game's going to turn out. Bobby Petrino is back. A mysterious reappearance in the SEC from one Robert Petrino. Is it a good fit? What do we think about this? Texas A&M is the location, by the way, if if you've been out to lunch for an extended period of time. There are some NIL rumors floating around out there, the kind of rumors, for example, that so-and-so was going to go to program X, but then program Y paid him too much money and he couldn't turn it down. Though you've, you've heard those sorts of rumors before, right? Sometimes they're true, sometimes they're not. I think the latter is the case with the person and programs that we will discuss this evening. Also, speaking of programs, I got four, Jesse, I think four. Yeah, four of them that I think are just teetering right there on the brink, on the verge of being college football playoff contenders. I'm not talking about the futuristic 12-team model where like half the sport's on the precipice. Whew, what value and scarcity we'll have that day. No, I'm talking about the modern day, current four-team setup. I think there are some programs we need to watch very closely. They're watching us in Watumpka, Alabama, Newcastle, Indiana, Wilmington, North Carolina, and Midland, Texas. Thank you guys so much. We just got some year-end numbers. And suffice it to say, whatever the ceiling was on the show and what we have in terms of potential, you broke it a long time ago. Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Reminder, we will be live from Los Angeles Sunday. Same time, we'll just be 3,000 miles further west. Tuesday, the day after the national championship game, we will have an earlier show. We'll still be live from L.A. I'm told it's going to be pouring down rain, but Big Game Dane and Gelby came through and they got us a cover. So while the rest of you have to hold umbrellas, Look at us. We get we get hooked up with Academy and all of a sudden we got a tent right over our heads. Just make sure you follow me on the socials. I think it'll be sometime early afternoon. We haven't nailed down a specific time yet, so just stay tuned. follow me at late Kick Josh. make sure you're tuned in. I'm rolling out there with plenty of gift cards. I'm just telling you. I know a lot of you guys are going to be out there. If you see me, now's the time. Last game of the year. Can't hold anything back now. If you've avoided it so far, make sure you come up to me and ask for one because I've got a bunch of Academy gift cards to unload. All right, let's dive into tonight's show. National Championship game on deck. We're going to be there live and on location in Los Angeles, California. So is Georgia, and so is, check the fine print, TCU. Now, what I like to do sometimes is pretend somewhere out there one of our viewers or listeners, for whatever medical reason, just had to get cryogenically frozen in August. And I picture them oh, stawing thawing out right now. And they're looking at Max Duggan and they're looking at TCU. The first thing they're saying is, oh, good, Duggan won the quarterback job. The second thing they're probably saying is Gator Bowl, Peasit Bowl, Alamo Bowl, no, national championship game. And then their jaw hits the ground and they say, tell me how it happened. Well, we know how it happened. Can they finish the drill? How realistic is this? Well, producer Jesse, early paper pop. Producer Jesse walks up to me today and says, do you know that this is the biggest point spread in college football playoff championship game history? Nay. Yeah, he talks like a horse. Nay, this is the biggest point spread this millennium in a championship game. If you're watching on YouTube, you see them. If you're not, let me tell you, the closest we've come to a 12 and a half point spread in a championship game, was 0-2 Miami favored by 11 and a half against Ohio State? Anyone remember how that turned out? By the way, that's interesting. Uh, Florida State trailed like 21 to three something like that against Auburn in 2013. They came back to win, but they were favored by 11. Uh, 2000 Florida State favored by 10 and a half. 2012 Alabama, uh, the massacre against Notre Dame. They were only a 10 point favorite. Uh, they went on to roll. So that's the bad news if you're TCU. I do have. A little ray of sunshine to send your way there in Fort Worth, not to be confused with Dallas, Fort Worth. TCU is the third team to make the title game in the college football playoff era without winning their conference. Two other teams did it. 2017 Bama won the title. 2021 Georgia won the title. That's the best I could do before we dive into the preview, okay? So that's not the worst news in the world. How is this different from the Michigan game? If you've been around here a long time, you know what I'm about to do. If you haven't been around all that long, welcome aboard. Thank you. Please subscribe to the channel. But also, we don't think there's a lot of skill or particularly a lot of fun in looking at a 12 and a half point favorite and saying, I think that team's going to win. Well, of course you do. Everyone does. If you don't think that, you will be paid off handsomely, Mattress Mac, for example, for betting the other side of this game. No. When we have a point spread in the double digits, what we like to do is ask ourselves, well, do we think the upset could happen? Sure, the upset could happen. Smaller percentage chance, but we think it could happen. Then the next thing we like to do is we like to say, if it were to happen, we're gonna spend our preview talking about how it would happen. And so, I go back to the Michigan game, because TCU was an underdog, or frog, in that one too, and they won. How did it happen? Well, there were a few different things, obviously. A lot of non-offensive points, a lot of crazy stuff happened. But if that game, or the outcome rather, were to be duplicated here, How much similarity is there? I don't think a whole lot. I heard someone a couple of days ago say, Georgia's just a little bit more talented version of Michigan. That's a pretty lazy way to describe it, quite frankly. And we have unlimited amounts of time on this show, so we don't have to be lazy. Sometimes we are, but we don't always have to be. Georgia's got a way better run defense than Michigan. Now, that's a standard statistic. We could always tell you what someone ranks nationally. Uh, Spoiler alert, Georgia's number one. They give up 77, points per game, or 77 yards per game on the ground, so that's really good. Now, in the interest of presenting the upset alert potential here, I certainly think it is, it is something that bears noting that the way TCU plays offense requires you to play with a light box defensively, a lot more so than if you played a standard I-formation team, which doesn't exist anymore, but you get, you get the picture there. Here's the issue I think TCU runs into here. Georgia does that all the time anyway. Totally comfortable playing light boxes. The reason they're comfortable with it is because their personnel is good enough and they're deep enough. So crazier things have happened, but I don't necessarily think that you will see success from TCU just because they get Georgia into different defensive looks pre-snap than Georgia's used to being in. Georgia's fine playing that way. So then the next thing that I think about is I go back to thinking just last week about what we saw and how could that be utilized for TCU's benefit. Well, we certainly saw Ohio State throw the ball a whole lot on Georgia, right? And we have seen guys like Quentin Johnson really victimize opposing secondaries with Max Duggan delivering the ball and Max Duggan's had time to throw and Georgia doesn't have the greatest pass rush in the world. They certainly don't have individual dynamic future first round talents on the edge gives you some hope, right? Sure, it should give you hope. I think they'll have a word of the week here, modicum of success throwing the ball on Georgia. I think the issue is Georgia has become something offensively. I got to credit our buddies, college football nerds. I've made the mistake of listening to their preview earlier today. Uh, I say mistake because otherwise I could just make the points they made and not have to reference them. But now I got to reference them. Uh, But they made a really good point, and it's right there in front of your face. They've got a lot of guys back. Like, it would be a big mistake on your part and my part to look at Georgia and just base our opinion solely off numbers. Because the fact is, a lot of the Georgia offensive stat profile from October is irrelevant now. They didn't have A.D. Mitchell back. Uh, You saw what Arian Smith did last week. And not just on that long touchdown pass where he broke a kid's ankle. Rest in peace. Heal quickly, but also just the presence on the field of that kind of speed. There's not a faster player on the field either side of the ball than Arian Smith. You haven't seen him all year. He's just kind of been there. You know, Georgia fans have wondered when's Arian Smith going to work his way into the rotation. There he is. How sweet it must be, as James Taylor would say, to be able to wait till this deep in the year to just insert Arian Smith, who 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 can't run as fast as sound travels, but he can see it in the distance. And so he's there, A.D. Mitchell's there, and then you combine that with, like, Brock Bowers and whatnot. And what I'm leading to with this, there is there's a school of thought out there that Georgia's best bet into this game, or, well, since I'm probably going to clip this later, I want to restate that. There's a school of thought out there that I don't necessarily prescribe to that Georgia's best bet to winning this game is to take a conservative approach, take the air out of the ball, keep TCU's offense off the field, Basically, don't put the ball in the air because two out of the three things that could happen are bad, which people used to say a lot in like 1973. I don't think that's the approach they need to take at all. Georgia's best bet to not only winning this game, but getting margin in this game. I'm talking about stretching it beyond the point of reachability for TCU is to let their horses get turned loose, and it benefits them. Stylistically, this game benefits Georgia the more they throw the ball, and I'm going to tell you why. Sports Info Solutions, I think, had the stat of this matchup. Now, I don't even know if they're aware, but I'm aware because this jumps off the paper, which I'm going to pop before reading this. You think about all these guys who are healthy now. A.D. Mitchell, Arian Smith, is just there. Uh, Brock Bowers. And You think about how good Stetson Bennett's played in these moments. He's played his best football. Georgia, when they're on offense, they are seventh in the country in pressure rate allowed. They give their quarterback time to throw. TCU defensively is 100th in pressure-generated. They could rip TCU secondary to pieces in a very non-Georgia-like fashion. It wouldn't surprise me at all if you turned on this game. If Todd Munkin, approved by Kirby Smart, so chooses to put the foot on the pedal a little bit offensively through the air, it wouldn't surprise me at all to have them put up numbers through the air that you hadn't seen them put up all year. Last week, they had to do it. This week, they could choose to do that. So there's a lot of edge to Georgia. I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure that out, but we were talking about paths to upsets here. What's the path to the upset? Well, if we were to accept this point spread as a default, if we just assume, all right, Georgia's about 12 and a half points or 13 points better than TCU, let's start from there. Then let's work backwards. If the final score is 33 to 20, let's work backwards and see how we could change that final score. Well, the first thing would normally be red zone. I didn't have Jesse and company make the graphics, but you don't even want to see how big an edge Georgia has. Both ways in terms of red zone. Could you have an anomaly of a game? I guess you could. There's no reason for me to expect that, though. That's why it would be an anomaly. It would be unexpected. The second thing is, like Ohio State last week, Yeah, you're an underdog, but maybe you just have a really, really solid talent roster and maybe they come through and you can't hold that much talent back. That's not in play here either. Georgia, 15 five-star players on the roster. TCU has one. Georgia, 53 four-star players on the roster. TCU has 16. So basically, there's a huge talent edge here. There is a big statistical red zone edge, both in favor of Georgia. Turnovers... That's the name of the game. It was last week for TCU. This is the great unknown. This is where things have to happen. Now, here's, I wouldn't call it a great conundrum, but here's why you get paid a lot of money to be a major head coach in college football. Kirby Smart knows this. He knows it long before anyone like me says it. He knows that our best statistical shot, I, I probably put our team in the best position to win based on the numbers I'm looking at, by throwing the ball a lot on them. However, I've also watched the Michigan film from last week. And I know that Michigan tried to do some things too that ended up probably costing them the game when they really didn't have to. So, what kind of approach am I going to take? It's a great unknown. I don't know that. I do not know how they'll approach this game. I got a way I think they will. I think they'll be ultra-aggressive through the air. I don't think they'll tiptoe. I do not think Georgia's going to dip their toe into the water of this game at all. I think it would be a mistake to do so. You just let someone hang around who you may rightfully think has no business hanging around with you. The other thing that they were able to do last week against Michigan, TCU, is stealing possessions. So if you could come to me with a formula that tells me they're going to steal a possession each half and they're going to be plus two turnovers and 10 to 14 non-offensive points are in the cards for them, that's all well and good. Not only do I not have the skill to predict that, I've also got to acknowledge that with the edge Georgia has defensively, you're just as if not more likely to turn the ball over to them. They're just as if not more likely to force you into negative situations, and they're just as if not more likely to score on you defensively or just non-offensively. Yeah, it's not a very rosy picture, but we don't play it on paper. We do play it on the field for a reason. Let's take a look at what the model thinks. The Vegas number right now at Caesars, at least, is Georgia minus 12.5. There have been some 13s out there, some thirteen and a halves out there. I, I don't know which way I expect that to break. I think there's still some Georgia money that probably comes back in. But I'm sure just based on sheer principle, there are a lot of folks who look at TCU and they understand uh, psychologically what being a 12.5-point dog could mean. They look at history. We told you the next... Biggest underdog in a title game this millennium was Ohio State in 02, and they won outright. So yeah, there's precedent for it. Our model agrees, for the record, with Vegas. Uh, The Pate State model has Georgia minus 13. I looked at the intangibles there that I just listed. And guys, if I could find enough of a convincing argument, if I could find a statistical profile in red zone that may be enough to flip this, if I thought that Quentin Johnson was going to be able to have enough disproportionate impact on this game to where it negates a lot of this stuff. Uh, like uh, Jamison Williams did against Georgia two years ago. Like Marvin Harrison was en route, route to doing. route, route, whatever. He was on his way to doing last week before he got knocked out. Questionably, but got knocked out. I would, I would speak. I would, I would let you know. I don't necessarily know that they'll be able to, to do that against Georgia. And for that reason, I think Georgia's going to win the game. I think Georgia's going to cover. And I'm not going to put a best bet sticker on this. But I do think that there is a bet that I'm going to individually place on this game. And right now, the number's 36. And that would be the Georgia team total. I personally will be betting the over on the Georgia team total. Now, the fun follow-up there is, if TCU were to pull this off, how big of an upset is it? I would argue it's one of the very biggest upsets in the history of college football an odds maker would look at you and say, well, that's dumb. We, we have bigger upsets than this every week in college football. In terms of point spread, you do. But if TCU wins the national championship game, they also won the national championship. And I have to account for the fact that that means games 1 through 12, making it through a conference title game, losing it and still making it into the playoff, winning a semifinal game, winning the title game as somewhere between a 200 and a 250 to 1 long shot preseason. Yeah. I'm going to call that one of the very biggest upsets in the history of college football now i personally don't think it's what we're going to see but we're going to make the trip to los angeles anyway just in case hope to see you guys out there we get to do that right as we bring you a show free of charge because of academy sports and outdoors academy.com also i'm told has been humming because the lines have been very long for the best of reasons at the brick and mortar academy sports and outdoors locations they are our presenting sponsor. You remember when I announced that earlier, I guess last year and how excited everyone was. Well, we were excited for a reason. Presenting sponsorships are hard to come by in this line of work. It wasn't that long ago that I would be emailing companies begging to just, just give us a penny. Just, just let us say that we got a sponsorship. No, not any longer. Academy Sports and Outdoors uh, made basically everything we wanted possible on the show this year and like i said what we really wanted is the freedom to travel every week we wanted the freedom to do the show without having to put it behind a paywall and we never have had to do any of that because of them and in turn i simply ask if you need anything pretty much under the sun because they carry almost everything you would ever need make sure you visit academy sports and outdoors and if you can't do that go online academy.com for all of your we say life needs but at the very least, outdoors and sporting goods and a lot of stuff you could use indoors, too, quite frankly. Academy Sports and Outdoors has you covered. righty, it's that time. I didn't know if we would ever get to this point, but here we are. <clears throat> I want to uh, want to thank you guys, by the way, for being tuned in live if you are. Make sure you hit the like button, the thumbs up button there. Bobby Petrino is coming back to the SEC. How does that make you feel? Obviously. Judging by my inbox and my text, it makes you feel a lot of ways. I heard a lot of things from people about this over the past 48 hours. What I never heard is, Bobby Petrino. Eh, don't really care one way or the other. No one said that. Everyone has an opinion here. My opinion it's a pretty good hire for Texas A&M. The moment I say that, I think a solid 50% of the audience is probably saying, shame on, shame on you for endorsing this man's behavior. I endorsed his football acumen. That's what I just endorsed. And so what I would like to do tonight is I would like to participate in an exercise with you. I'm not talking to the people necessarily who think it's a good hire, because you and I agree. But in the interest of conversation and talking things through the way we always do on this show, whether you're an A&M fan or not, I want you to take a second, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to answer it for me and even though I I can't technically hear you, trust me, I will pretty much know what you're going to say. Why don't you like this hire for Texas A&M? And to be clear, the hire is Bobby Petrino, offensive coordinator for Texas A&M. Why don't you like the hire? Three, two, one. Okay. Hopefully you got it out. I didn't have time to give you a great deal of time to answer there, but did your answer have anything to do with football? Uh, most of you didn't. I know because I've asked everyone who's pushed back on me. I've got plenty of friends who've done it. I've got a lot of folks who are internet acquaintances of mine, I guess we would say. I've had a lot of pushback. A lot of pushback on Bobby Petrino becoming the offensive coordinator at Texas A&M. It's just the thing about it is none of it's been football related. It's all been off-field, extracurricular, character related. And it's all true. It's very well documented. There's not... Not much about this guy's past that is shrouded in mystery and secrecy. We know, trust me, we know. Here's the exercise I would like you to participate in with me tonight if you do not like this hire. We need to use a metaphor. We need to go down that road. I need you to pretend with me for just a second. So it's like, for example, if I were in charge of scanning the city to hire a new Boy Scout troop leader, and I bring a guy in because he's got this sterling reputation in the community. And he works at the soup kitchen three days a week. and He's just a pillar of the community. His peewee football team goes 2-10 every year, but he's a great character guy. I bring him in, and I tell him, thanks but no thanks. We're not giving you the job. And he asks why. And I say, well, your peewee team's kind of terrible. If you found out about that, you would say to me what? You would probably say to me, You're not hiring him to be a football coach, are you? You're you're, you're hiring him to be a scout leader. He's everything in terms of intangibles that those young men need. He's a a great example of what they should want to grow up to be. I get all that, but his pee wee team goes two and ten. Like, he sucks as a football coach. What do you guys want me to tell you? Well, that wouldn't make much sense. Nor, in my opinion, does it make a lot of sense. When I look at Texas A&M, 101st in the country, in points per game, and me knowing this guy immediately makes him better. Or a and 79th rush yards per game, 84th pass yards per game, 93rd total yards per game. Bobby Petrino makes him better, 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 immediately being hired. I want him to be a football coach. I don't need him to be a scout leader. The minute, if he does, that he has indiscretion off the field that brings shame on the university, here's what would happen. He'd be fired, and that'd be the end. That's the risk, which I don't think is much of a risk. The plus side is you immediately upgraded your personnel in terms of your coaching staff. You immediately, if play calling is truly being handed over to him, upgraded on Saturday. Is that not the name of the game here? This is not a sport that is coached by angels. It's not a sport that's played by angels. Basically, I'm just rehashing a lot of what I said when Auburn hired Hugh Freeze, because you know my thoughts on that, too. I need the guy to coach football in this case. I don't need him to be the face of my program, even. He's not my head coach. He's going to go sit in an office. You'll rarely hear from him. You'll see him on Saturdays. And I don't know how many play sheets he plans on holding in his hand. But I need him to do a better job than Jimbo Fisher's been doing when it comes to calling plays and when it comes to getting my team ready to play winning football. If he can do that, I'm okay with some negative headlines in his past. The reason, once again... Is because of what I need him to do and the boxes I need Bobby Petrino to check he checks now here's the follow-up question will it work that I don't know I can like the hire sure I told you I like the hire will it work I don't know and you will not know Texas A&M fans won't know people who cover the program won't know you won't know until a couple of weeks into the season really Bobby Petrino at Texas A&M, will it work? You won't know until they struggle. You don't find out if this is real in spring. Jimbo Fisher could be dead serious, for the record, about handing over play calling duties and relinquishing control of certain aspects of his program and delegating. It's a word we have rarely heard offensively around him. He could be serious about all that. I I go back to the age-old standby metaphor of teaching a kid how to drive. It's one thing if we're down in the, in the Civic Center parking lot after dark and it's a wide open parking lot and you're just doing donuts in the Ford at like 15 miles an hour, nobody's worried about the kid being 14 years old when he's doing donuts in the parking lot at 10 o'clock at night because there's no risk. There's no risk in spring football. No one cares. There is no instinct from Jimbo Fisher to grab the reins. There is no risk even really in fall camp of that happening. But when they struggle for the first time, could be week two, could be week six, whenever. When they struggle, think about Texas A&M going into the locker room down 17 to six. That's when the kid's no longer in the parking lot. That's when he's out on the open road and he's starting to drift towards the center line a little bit and there is an 18-wheeler on coming. That's when dad's hand reaches over instinctively and grabs the wheel. That's when you'll find out if it's real. If you really trust the kid, you sit back and say, for better or for worse, our lives are in his hands. If... Jimbo Fisher's serious about this. That's when you'll find out. When they trail, when they're struggling, when things aren't running smoothly, does Jimbo Fisher reach over and take control like several coaches have done before? Or does he say, I hired this guy to do a job for better or for worse. I'm going to let him do it. Now, Jimbo would say it seven times faster than I just did, but that's when we'll find out. So I don't know if it's going to work. I have no clue because I really can't get inside that guy's head. Only he can do that. But what I do know is he hired a guy who will have no problem looking him back in the eye and telling him exactly what he thinks, which is what they needed out there. Uh, this is not a 27-year-old hotshot coordinator who, who Jimbo coached his dad uh, 30 years ago. This is not that. This is not a guy who will lower his head and look at Jimbo's feet when he starts chewing him out. This is Bobby Petrino. That guy probably has about as much emotional callus built up as you could possibly have. There is nothing that's going to come out of Jimbo Fisher's mouth that would ever make a, a shade of red appear on Bobby Petrino's cheeks, at least more so than it's already there. So, I like the hire. Doesn't mean it's a slam dunk. I think Texas A&M's coaching staff got better. That should be the gold. Anything else is extracurricular and quite frankly, stuff that I don't care about uh, because it's non-football related. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. They're watching us in Bucks County, Pennsylvania tonight. They're watching us in Tampa, Florida. They're watching us in Oak Hill, West Virginia. And we appreciate someone said Jimbo, take the wheel. We start doing parody songs around here. That will be our first one. So trademark, that's ours now. Trademark. I got a lot going on to talk about with the transfer portal. There's a, there's a great deal of activity. Transfer portal intel, whispers, we got a lot going on. Jordan Birch is in the portal. Talked about him a couple of nights ago. That is the former five-star defensive lineman committed to South Carolina. He's played there a couple of years. Well, he's in the portal now. As, as is usually the case, I have to remind you, just because you're in the portal doesn't mean it's a guarantee you're going to leave. We just always assume if you're in the portal, you're going to leave. I expect Jordan Birch to leave. What impact is this for South Carolina? Well, there are two schools of thought. One is perception. Perception: This is terrible. Just like if they lost him in recruiting, it would have been terrible. A lot—I know a lot of the fans have been talking about this today. But then there's just the overall football impact. Um, you could call him overrated. You could call him whatever you wanted to. He has not played at the level that he was expected to play out out of high school. Now, that's not always the player's fault. Sometimes the industry had him overrated. I'm not here to assign blame. I'm just saying they are not losing a perennial All-American. They're losing a good, solid player who probably still has his best football ahead of him. Here's the concern if you're a Carolina fan. Number one, you don't have the guy to fill his spot, maybe or maybe not. And then number two, Jordan Birch goes elsewhere and does play his best football. And you're having to watch him shine in another jersey, maybe in the SEC, maybe not, who knows. Speaking of which, there is some duck smoke here. There is some Oregon smoke. Now, I myself cannot confirm that. I could if I wanted to. I just didn't reach out today. And so, interesting approach there. Because if you've noticed what Oregon's doing, they're getting pretty deep on the defensive line. They're going out and getting a lot of players. Which begs the question, what's Jordan Burch looking for? We do not have him on the show tonight. I cannot ask him this question. But if he's, if he's looking for a surefire depth chart situation out there, where he's a plug-and-play, I'm not totally sure Oregon is that unless he's about to play a different caliber of football than he has so far. Because Oregon is not the thinnest program in the world and will not be for the next several years on the defensive line. So we'll see about that. 6'6", 275. Big talent. Big time talent. We'll see where he lands. TCU's rolling. I know this is a shot to approximately nobody considering they're about to play in the national championship game. More on that in just a second in terms of the dates of such things, but they picked up Trey Sanders today, former five-star running back. He went to Bama, got in a car wreck. Almost almost lost more than just his career in that car wreck. Uh, Trey Sanders never fully regained the form it would take to start at Alabama. Trey Sanders is good enough to play football, though. Like he is, He's plenty healthy enough. He's good enough to play football. They've also picked up JoJo Earl from Alabama, the receiver. They've also picked up Tommy Brockermeyer, former five-star offensive tackle. TCU loves what they see in Tuscaloosa. And apparently some of the kids who weren't quite on the field enough in Tuscaloosa love what they see in Fort Worth, and how could you not? A lot of these guys get to go closer to home, and oh, in the process they also get to play for a really good program. TCU's going to continue to do this. I continue to talk about how there are certain pinpoints you know, on the map where a lot of talent resides every year. It's just, you don't even have to know anything about college football. to you know, there are a lot of high school Football players in Texas who are good. And any given year, dozens to hundreds of them are going to different programs. Not all the good players in Texas stay in Texas. Some of them go to Alabama, some of them go to USC, some of them go to Ohio State, wherever. And that means any given cycle, when it comes time for the transfer portal, there are going to be a lot of kids from Texas in the transfer portal. Some of them may be looking to come closer to home. Guess who just happens to be there? Like, TCU doesn't even have to do anything particularly special. They're just there. They just need to raise their hand and say, are you looking to come home? And the guy says, yeah, you got anything? Um, yeah, yeah, we got a roster spot. You want to come over here? Sure. That's how TCU will sometimes recruit the portal. Miami, same way. Both of the programs in Southern California, same way. So that's just the thing about TCU is that they're really doing a good job in the portal. Jack Besh, the receiver from LSU also, But I did want to touch on this little scheduling. I would call it a snafu, but I don't really think the NCAA is particularly sorry they did it. Are you aware, as Max Olson pointed out on Twitter today, that the NCAA recruiting calendar carved out January 4th through the 8th as a period for mid-year transfers to take visits? So kids who are in the portal, they can take visits in this four or five-day window. And that's what we're seeing right now. Uh, This lasts until what, uh, Monday or Tuesday? I mean, This is the day of the national championship game, isn't it? So basically, if you want to take a visit and you're a mid-year enrollee, you can do it right now. Well, as you're well aware, the problem is there are a couple of teams whose seasons are not even over yet, and they're going to California to play in a football game, so no one's home. Like, if I'm a transfer, I'd never leave Pate State, but if I wanted to, and I wanted to try my luck with Kirby Smart at Georgia, I'd go over there and just... Knock on the door and guys they couldn't fit on the plane to Los Angeles are the only ones there. There's like a note on the door. Make yourself at home. There are pastries in the fridge. We'll be back next week, hopefully with a trophy. What sense does that make? The answer, none. Then I do, do a little bit more due diligence today. Not only is that the case, but you got some programs, and Georgia's one of them, where they get back from the title game. They don't have time to get kids enrolled in school, so they can't take a trip. They can't take a visit and also their semester is either already started or about to start and the drop add date you know when it comes to actual academics because some people do come here to play school it's like the week of the championship game so if you want to take transfers you have to have that stuff long since sorted out so so let me just let me just explain to you what's happening the ncaa is telling you do not tamper you better not tamper you better not be reaching out to another kid when he's still on a roster But also, we're going to put the official visit window when you may or may not be in town. Oh, and by the way, we know that your semester starts the next week and you're not going to have any time to do anything after you get back. Don't you tamper, though. Like, what? Who made this calendar? I'll tell you who. The same folks who put the early signing day and, well, they didn't put Christmas in December, but Christmas was well known to be in December. And they had conference championship games going on. And they had transfer portal opening up. And they had... NIL, therefore, being at the forefront, you had the coaching hot seat and coaches moving all over the place. Those people are the ones who put the official visit window for mid-year enrollees in the same week as you would be playing a national championship. Those people. You know, those people. Anyway, I spoke my piece on that. Next up, Sam Hartman has officially landed in South Bend, Indiana. That was the quarterback at Wake Forest, and he is now... Going to be a quarterback at Notre Dame. Some of you noticed the other day, I said on the show repeatedly they need a one year stopgap because Tyler Buckner is expected to transfer. A lot of you heard that and you took that to mean, oh, he must be thinking about Drew Pine because Drew Pine already transferred. What I meant with Tyler Buckner, and I did not do a good job at all of stating it clearly, I did not mean Tyler Buckner is about to play in the bowl game and then throw up the deuces the next day. What I was saying had this baked into it. So, so it's long been thought that Sam Hartman is going to transfer to Notre Dame. It's just official now. He made it official today. What I think is going to happen is they will have a spirited battle in the spring for the QB1 job. I think it will become very apparent very quickly that Sam Hartman is going to be the starting quarterback there. And that is when yours truly expects a potential transfer from Tyler Buckner. So that's how I think that's going to play out. That's what I meant. What it sounded like was something totally different. Anyway, uh, Sam Hartman at Notre Dame, they need him. They, they need a one-year guy. because they've. I won't say they have it for sure taken care of in the future. There are no certainties in this life. But I think they feel comfortable 2024 and beyond at quarterback. They don't feel comfortable about 2023. Well, except that now they do. Let's check in on Colorado for just a second. We made a lot of noise about Deion Sanders going to Boulder. We haven't talked about him in a couple of weeks, mainly because you asked us to stop, even though you kept clicking on the videos. Um, Checking back in on Colorado, they have the number two portal class in the country. Travis Hunter did indeed transfer there. Shadir Sanders did indeed transfer there. But they've got, you know what, before I tell you, if you haven't checked this in the last week or two, how many players do you think Colorado has added from the portal? Now, as a frame of reference, USC last year had 20. Colorado's already got 17. They're not done. I do not think they're done. And they've added several guys who obviously will be immediately Im- uh, impacting the starting lineup there. 17. What, Jesse, what do you think we should put the over-under at? You think we should go 20 and a half? Would that be fair? 21. Jesse wants to go 21. I don't want a threat of a push, but I guess since Jesse calls the shots here, we'll go 21. Colin, I don't know if you endorse that, but 21 it is. (laughs) Okay, well, I can't go that high. That's a a violation. Uh, FSU has the number one portal class in the country, right ahead of Colorado. And the average player rating that they've taken out of the portal is 91.38. Good players, in other words. Uh, They have four out of the top 26. And among those players, Jaheim Bell, the top tight end in the country, they've gotten him out of the portal. They've got the number two corner out of the portal, number two offensive tackle out of the portal, top defensive lineman out of the portal, a kid from Western Michigan. So they are spanning the globe far and wide to find players that will be integral pieces on maybe a preseason ACC championship contender. I don't think there's much risk in saying that. Absolutely. There'll be a preseason ACC championship contender. Number one and number two in the portal rankings right now, FSU and Colorado. Remember, we got the title game coming up Monday night. It is expected that we will probably see some, some departures from maybe even those programs. But after that, we'll have the full picture. Every one season will be over, and so there will be nothing left. There will be no other time to wait, no other reason to wait. So anyone else who's going in the portal in this early window will be doing it shortly after Monday night. At the latest, shortly after Monday night. We were speaking earlier today about who's next. It wasn't Belcher doing his Goldberg impression. It was just an honest and free-flowing discussion about which of these programs out there could be next. So, Colin, here's a a better end point for you. Georgia TCU, they're playing for the national championship. You had Michigan and Ohio State in the playoff. Who could be next? I'm not necessarily saying teams that have never made the playoff, but teams that have been out of the picture. We had a Twitter question about this, and it got us talking earlier today about who could be next. So just frame it up in your own mind. Maybe they've been to the playoff, but they've been down. Who that's not currently in that playoff picture will be next? Because I came up with four names pretty off the top of my head. And the first one's Penn State. I had Jesse sitting across from me, so it certainly didn't hurt their matters at all. There, There are many facets of the program, I think, that are trending in the right direction. So as much as I love Sean Clifford, Quarterback's trending in the right direction here. Imagine, if you will, a world where you have a guy who's capable of playing every week like Sean Clifford just played in the Rose Bowl. What a world that would be. Well, Drew Aller, I believe, and many believe, has the capability to be that kind of player. Check at quarterback. Certainly, they have recruited very well, and you've already seen the fruits of that payoff at the running back position. Trending up. Check. Offensive line had been a weakness a year or two. Trending up. Check. Tight end. They'll be good there. Check. And then when we flip over to the defensive side of the ball, I got Manny Diaz. You see what he did this year. And they will continue, I think, to trend in the right direction there. I also think they're going to add one or two more guys at receiver from the portal. The foundation is laid. They keep on adding thin layer after thin layer. And the reason I say thin is because they have not gone from being average to just exploding into the playoff picture overnight. That's not the way it's happening there. But what is happening is it's slowly but surely, you know, you got, the, you got the stove top on, but it's not on full blast. So it's just taking the pot of water a little bit longer to heat up. But the thing about the little, the little frog, earmuffs, kids, this is going to be graphic. When you take the little frog, I'm going to use the chalice here, and you drop the frog in room temperature liquid, and then you heat it up, That frog doesn't realize it's being boiled to death. Now, if I had it at 212 already and I dropped the frog in, he just jumps right back out. Well, Penn State is the first pot of water. They're the pot of water that was like room temperature, and they're slowly heating up. And they're going to come to a boil, and it's going to sneak up on you. They're going to make the playoff eventually, and you're going to be surprised. And I just don't think you should because the indicators are there right now. Let's go to Eugene, Oregon right quick. I am naming Oregon over USC on the West Coast. I am doing that because as much as I love Lincoln Riley and USC, they're doing something at Oregon I've still got to see them do at USC. And that is loading up on defense with a head coach that has a proven track record defensively. And they're doing it in a big way. And so when I'm looking forward, I'm asking myself, here, what do I think about the staff out there? I like the staff out there. I'm not just talking about Lanning. I'm talking about the guys he has under him, and I'm talking about the pedigrees they have. Uh, On the field and off the field, it's not a regional staff. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a regional staff, but the further west you go, the more I prefer you to have a group of guys who have been all around the country. Number one, because that's the way you have to recruit, and especially in the northwest, that's the way you have to recruit. Well, they've got them. Now, they've got them all throughout that building, They are taking an approach that is a lot more balanced in nature. There's no one walking the building in there who says, we'll just outscore them every week. That's not the approach there. However, they can score on you. One of the most important recruitments that's happened right under your nose has been Bo Nix coming back. Like I think Oregon's in position to potentially be a playoff team next year, or at the very least, they'll be in that conversation, uh, because I don't think Bo Nix has maximized his potential yet. He just had a really good year. I think he came back because he believes he's capable of having a better year. And I, if he does believe that, agree with him. So I've got Oregon there. And I know they love to hear that at Washington. Boy, they love to be ignored. And I'm going to do you guys a favor. It's not that I don't see you. I just know you would prefer me not to list you there. And so I'm doing you a solid. And I'm not going to list Washington. How about that? Texas, what am I doing? What am I doing I look at Texas, oh sorry, Colin. I look at Texas, and you know this made sense when I wrote it earlier, so I'm going to go ahead with this. But you know that i've had I've had my fair share of disagreements with the old model here when it came to picking Texas and trying to judge Texas. Texas and North Carolina were the two toughest programs for us as a show to get a read on this I feel like truly we affected the outcome of Texas and North Carolina games. Meaning anytime we picked them to cover, they didn't cover. And I, I truly feel like if we would have picked them not to cover, it would have changed the outcome of the game. That's how snake bit we were. And therefore, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me to mention Texas here, but I'm going to. Because on the surface, on this, on this slightly abused piece of paper here, I see five and seven becoming eight and four. I do see it's granted it's just two years, but I do see things trending up. I think line of scrimmage recruiting has been handled very well here. Quarterback, one way or the other, is going to be a strength for him because if it's not Quinn Ewers, you got Arch Manning coming in the door. So the quarterback is not a question mark for me here. <sighs> not everyone explodes overnight. Okay, it would be great if you hired Sart in year one or even year two. They were 11-1 playing for a Big 12 championship. That would have been great. It didn't happen. Just like it didn't happen for the next team I'm going to talk about in a second. It didn't happen overnight. That doesn't mean it can't happen. It didn't happen for Dabo Swinney overnight. Special things eventually ended up happening there. Well, I think that this Texas group is going through and has gone through some things that are going to be beneficial in the future. Because when you just ask yourself what ingredients are needed to be a playoff contender, we're not talking about just outright winning a championship. We're talking about being a playoff contender and potentially making it into that playoff, that four-team field. Out of the teams that haven't been there, where is a better set of ingredients? And, and clearly, what we're talking about there is, is an adequate talent roster and not having big question marks at quarterback and just having dynamic skill players, line of scrimmage being developed. It's not where it needs to be. That's not what the segment's about. I think it will eventually be there. And your great unknown here, obviously, is Steve Sarkeesian himself. And I don't have a problem. If you list that as the reason you don't buy into this, I just, you can't be proven until you prove yourself. Like, at at one point, everyone was unproven until they proved themselves. So, maybe it's in the cards. Maybe. FSU is the other team. FSU did not did not do what I think a lot of folks wanted him to do. And you will not see record of this because they've made sure, these people have made sure to delete the records of calling for Mike Norvell to be fired. But you're out there. You are out there. And it, it was not all that long ago because he hasn't been there but three years. Persistence and patience is paying off here. A whole lot of peas paying off in Tallahassee. And I think early on, they, they went hard in the portal. And I think some people mistook Mike Norvell in Florida State going hard in the portal initially as evidence they just planned on trying to hotshot their way to an ACC championship. Hotshotting mean cutting all the corners, microwave over oven, sugar high over sustainable energy. That's not what they did. They, through sheer means of necessity, did lean on the portal and they're still doing it That doesn't mean they weren't building the program the right way. They absolutely were. You know, when when you look at some guys, we go to the gym every day. There's some guys in there with really impressive upper bodies, but you could you could index finger press them onto their back because they don't ever touch legs. Mike Norvell does legs. This program does legs multiple times a week. They've got a sturdy foundation. They couldn't build it overnight, but they finally have a sturdy foundation. And then you start to get into the more particular nuances of the program, and you know, hey, Jordan Travis is back next year. We are still a very attractive destination in the portal. Number one portal class in the country right now, as a matter of fact. And the other thing is that there's a lot of uncertainty elsewhere in the state of Florida, and that does nothing but help them. And I guess there's yet another end here. Who can they not beat in the ACC? I mentioned this the other day, and I, it was a good point. I'm surprised I didn't clip it. Every, every now and then, though, I stumble onto one of these. What are you used to in the ACC? What am I used to? I am used to opening up a preview magazine or arriving in August and looking at an odds sheet, and it's Clemson and then 10 miles and then everyone else jumbled together, but it's basically Clemson's to use, and that's even what the odds look like coming into this year, and that's actually how the— Conference played out again this year. I don't foresee the conference playing out like that next year. I don't foresee the conference looking like that at the outset next year. Now, Clemson, sure enough, will still be your odds-on favorite. There won't be a massive gap. And if you're a Florida State fan or you're just observing the program, no longer are you looking at that schedule and going one, two, three. Okay, so there's three sure losses. and Then there's two or three question mark games. Maybe they win seven, maybe eight. That's not the way it's going to go there anymore. You're going to look at the schedule and you're going to say, um, "Wow, they they actually could win every one of these games. They'll be capable of winning every one of these games." You may not call them to go 12 and 0, but they can win all of these games. There will not be the automatic X's on the schedule because they're good enough now, where you don't talk about them like that. Now, we've got plenty of time to do this, but there is going to be a ton of momentum behind people calling FSU their dark horse next year or maybe just out in the open favorite to win the ACC I have no clue where I'm going to land cuz Mimo told me never make September picks in January but it could happen Next up there's there's some drama that we have to address okay so I want you to do me a favor right quick I want you to if you have not already click the thumbs up button and subscribe to the channel. That's not the drama. That's just what I want you to do. Okay. Tate hit us up and said, could you discuss this whole Caden Proctor situation on your show? I'm checking in from Tallahassee, Florida. Well, thank you, Tate. And absolutely I can. Now, Caden Proctor, if you're listening and you don't really follow recruiting a whole lot, you may think, oh, this is a recruiting segment. I'm tuning out. No, no, it's it's a lot more than that. So just, just stick with me for a second or two here. Who is Caden Proctor? For those of you who may be tuned out on recruiting, I'll tell you who Caden Proctor is. An animal in the best of ways. He is 6'7", 330 pounds. He's an offensive tackle. Top-rated OT in the country from Des Moines, Iowa. Was committed to Iowa for a long time until Nick Saban decided he wanted him and he flipped to Alabama on signing day or a couple of days before signing day. And all's well that ends well, right? Not so fast. Rumors have surfaced. Allegations have surfaced. Now, I'm going to let you take a wild guess at what those rumors sounded like. Are you thinking something along the lines of, there's Nick Saban dropping another bag, there's Bama coming in and buying another player, which is one of my favorite allegations, because it's rarely as it seems, and even if it was in 2023, it's kind of sort of legal, but be that as it may, let us dive in. Because I referenced this just without naming that kid's name three weeks ago. Three weeks ago on this show, I did a segment. It took off, but I kept the names anonymous. Caden Proctor was absolutely the player I was talking about. And I told you some big dogs are going to flip some players late, and you're going to think it's because of NIL. And I'm telling you because in some cases I knew the numbers associated with the NIL offers. Some players are going to go to big programs and take less money then they're being offered by other programs. I told you that 3 weeks ago. You remember that? Okay. Well, now that it's out in the open, I'm telling you, Caden Proctor was one of them. But not a lot of you, some of you didn't believe that, and some of you still don't believe it about Caden Proctor. And so, the allegation has been floating out there. I have not addressed it on the show until now. The allegation's been out there that Obama oh, just outbid Iowa. And here's the thing, if you're a player And someone is alleging something about you that's not true. In other words, you're just kind of a hired gun. You're a mercenary. You just went to the highest bidder. Kind of make you mad, wouldn't it? Especially if it's not true. Now, if it's true, it's whatever. Good for you. But if it's not true, wouldn't you want to set the record straight? Well, Caden Proctor did set the record straight. And so this is a quote. It's a few days old now. But it resurfaced today. Here's the quote from Caden Proctor. I don't want to come into the school and everyone thinks that I'm one of the best players there already. I want to grow. And that's not how I grow. I got to get hit in the mouth before I can grow. Jesse, do we have the other quote? The quote just about the offer itself? Because if we don't, I will just pull this bad boy up right here. Okay. Well, I am going to pull my own personal account up. And I'm going to read you verbatim what was said. Quote from Caden Proctor. When these stories come out, I hope they understand it wasn't about NIO money because I'm not getting as much money as Iowa would have paid me. Unquote. Now, I love that for two reasons. Number one, I actually know it to be true. Uh, But the second reason was I knew what the reaction was going to be. Almost no one out there who was alleging that Bama just came in with a bigger offer backed off of their allegation. You have got anonymous sourcing on Twitter, on your local message board, some dude who called into a talk radio station, and they've convinced you of one thing. The player himself <laughs> comes out voluntarily and says, no, that's not the way it happened. And, and no no later was that said than I saw people calling that kid a liar. Like, you've got a better source than the player himself. I'm not saying a player is technically incapable of lying. I'm just saying I highly doubt you've got a source better than him or closer to the situation than him. In a situation where it wouldn't matter if you did get outbid. Anyway, so a lot of folks around iowa were mad because they felt like they got misled okay if you're an iowa hawkeye fan i want to make sure that i stress i'm not hating on you i'm not trying to dunk on you i'm not making fun of you i got plenty of respect for the iowa program especially when it comes to developing that position it's a kid from your backyard i'd be salty just like you are and you feel like your staff may have been misled and you're mad that he stayed committed to the last minute so there are several legitimate reasons why you're less than thrilled about this if you're an Iowa fan. I am not directing this at you guys. There are a lot of other folks out there who are totally agnostic, couldn't care less about either program. They just want to be heard. And those folks are the ones that I want to speak to for just a second. I got about 10 of you I've been going back and forth with. And there is a sizable group still out there that claims there's no way this kid just flat out picked Alabama, even for less money. It has to be that Nick Saban came in and Alabama dropped a bag. And that's the only way that an offensive tackle chooses to go to Alabama over Iowa. And I told you last week, and I told you two weeks ago, this was going to happen. Kids were going to roll with a program like Alabama, and they were going to take less upfront money to do it, and people were not going to be able to accept it. And it happened in this case. I know the details behind the scenes. It happened, the kid flat out took less money and a lot of folks don't believe it. I just ask you, has anyone thought this through for like more than two seconds? Can we please think this? It doesn't even have to be critically because this is pretty much common sense. A five-star offensive tackle chose to go to Alabama and I got like a hundred folks in my DMs telling me there's no way that happens unless they bought him. What in the world are we talking about right now? So, So basically it is beyond the realm of comprehension that a kid could look at the greatest head coach of all time running the greatest dynasty in the history of this sport an apex program who has mastered the art of developing his position to the tune that I kid you not we had to look it up Bama has sent seven offensive tackles to the first round since 2009 the entire Big 12 has only sent five Bama sent seven offensive tackles to the first round the entire ACC has only sent six the entire Big Ten has only sent 10 of them. That's including Iowa, which has done a good job. They've sent four of them. But Bama's, Bama has outdone entire conferences in developing this kid's position into becoming a multimillionaire. There's no way that kid could wanna to go to Bama though, unless they bought him. No, 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 no. Even in a world where NIL is fully legal, programs that are capable of doing this for the back end of your college career they don't have to pay as much on the front end they don't have to outbid everyone on the front end and here's the other part of this that's going to take a little while to grasp geography doesn't mean what it used to mean in recruiting this gets from des moines iowa and that was why there was a close tie to iowa and that's why i was at the forefront of this conversation the thing about it is That's the only reason Iowa was at the forefront of this conversation. If he was from Prescott, Arizona, if he was from Tampa, Florida, if he was from Chesapeake, Virginia, Bama would have still been in the conversation because they recruit nationally. Iowa would not have been. And I'm not knocking kids from Iowa for going to Iowa. What I am trying to get across to you is an 18-year-old does not look at ties to home like a 58-year-old does. You were born and you grew up in a generation where home meant a whole heck of a lot more than it does to them, for better or for worse, and it's because of this. It's just because of technology. Technology makes the world really small, and it makes you feel like Arizona is next door to New York because you can, well, you can get there really quick, but you communicate with people there every day. You didn't do that 30 or 40 years ago, and so it's nothing for a kid to leave home now. It's nothing at all for that to happen. I hope it makes sense, because it's not gonna be the last time you see this, and I think it's probably gonna be an exercise we have to repeat over and over again of some major program came in late, a kid flipped, and you get mad because you think the only reason that happened is because they just have more money than me. That's not the only deciding factor. In fact, uh, there are a lot of default situations out there where you'd get smoked in a recruitment head up and you're going to have to outbid big time the big dog program it's the inverse of the way you think it happens. You think the big dog program comes in and they outbid you, it's not that at all. You're gonna have to double up their offer. Because all things equal, that kid's getting way more going to play for them than he is for you. So you gotta sweeten the pot. Not them, they, Alabama doesn't have to sweeten the pot to get an offensive tackle, are you crazy? You have to sweeten the pot, even Iowa. And Iowa, next to Bama's been as good as anyone at developing that position. Even Iowa, for an in-state kid, has to do that. Finally tonight, we have to revisit bold predictions. And tonight, we're going a few places that I had forgotten we went in August. In August, I asked you, give me your bold predictions. Anything you'd be willing to bet your own money on. Uh, Here are five predictions that you guys gave me. Take a look at who hit and who missed. First up, this one I had to check for sure, but Chris nailed it. Chris said FSU will win three of four games between LSU, Miami, Clemson, and Florida. FSU is going to go three of four at least. This hit, and I'll tell you what had me concerned, they opened against LSU, and if they lost that game, they were, have to, they were going to have to go 3-0 and the rest of the way to make Chris's prediction hit, and I don't want you to think about FSU now. I don't want you to think about number 13 um, bowl winner, 10-win FSU. No, Go back to August. Remember, in August, when this program, the biggest question around them was going to be, are they going to win at least seven games? You know, are we going to improve? We're going to make a bowl. That was the kind of conversation around FSU in the preseason. And also, Clemson had one of the three or four best odds to win the national title. Uh, LSU was a favorite against FSU. Uh, Miami was a favorite to win their division in the ACC. So those games. Didn't look winnable at all. Well, all of a sudden, they became a lot more winnable. They won the first one against LSU. They played a close game against Clemson, but then they took it to Miami and they beat Florida. The night after Thanksgiving, they go three of four. Good call, Chris. Very good call. He hits. I called that an eight. I thought it was pretty bold, but it hit. Next up, I called this one an eight as well. College football playoff conversation here from Dylan. He said this year's college football playoff will be 100% Big Ten. And SEC, he came close. He came very close. In fact, here's how close he came. Here is the top six going into the playoff. Georgia, Michigan, TCU, Ohio State, Bama, Tennessee. Five of the top six were SEC and Big Ten. There was that one little fly in the ointment, as our buddy Tim Brando would say, and that is TCU there at number three. How many parties can you crash in one calendar year, Sonny Dykes? And so we had a couple of Big Ten teams. We had a one SEC team, but we did get a third conference in there. Uh, I called this an eight. And the reason I had a problem with it was the, the four candidates there. If we're going to have two Big Ten and two SEC, you're thinking to yourself, Ohio State, Michigan, Bama, Georgia, that's, that's the four, right? Well, the problem was, Ohio State and Michigan play each other really late in the year. It turns out that happened and both of them still made it. But then also if Bama, Georgia play, it's going to be in the SEC title game. So you've got like two situations there where someone's got to take a loss at the very end of the year in two cases and still make it in. Things were just going to have to fall too perfectly. Still almost happened, but not quite. Next up, we got a Clemson prediction here from Katie. She said, Cade Klubnik will start over DJ Uyangalaleh at least once this year she's called katie stats on the streets i believe so this didn't happen should it have happened i guess is another game that we could play now Cade clubnick got in plenty of games but he never started one at least we we don't think he did i don't think he did he did not start one and the the caveat here was it has to be for playing reasons it cannot be for health related reasons Uh, He did come in several times, did not start one. I guess the follow-up question, and I think I know pretty much everyone's answer, should he have started a game, minimum one game? My answer is yes. I rarely question decisions like that, uh, but my answer is yes, he should have. He will be the starter this coming year, and, and so will DJ probably. It'll just be in Corvallis, Oregon. Next up, we got a TCU prediction. Record amount of TCU content in the show tonight. Uh, I called this one a 7 and the prediction was TCU plays in the Big 12 Championship game. Jesse, out of curiosity, do we have the preseason Big 12 odds by chance? We do not have them. Okay. I know TCU is not the top 2. I do know that. This hit though. And the thing about it is, it didn't sneak up on you. It didn't come out of nowhere. They they clinched a spot as a matter of fact in week 10. They played Texas or It was like November. It wasn't even week 10, was it? Around week 10. They clinched with three games to go. They clinched a spot in the Big 12 championship game after the win against Texas. So not only did this hit, it hit as comfortably as it could possibly hit. And again, TCU was not one of the top two favorites in the Big 12 coming into the year. That's pretty much the way the Big 12 has played out the last several years. And lastly, this one you got really creative on, and yet it easily hit. How about Texas, Oklahoma, and Texas A&M? Dean predicted Longhorns, Sooners, Aggies—they will all fail to reach ten wins, and it hit, and it hit easily. Obviously, the closest out of those three that we got was Texas. Texas went eight and four. Oklahoma went six and six. A&M went five and seven. I had what I called the Red River Conundrum which they'll probably end up trying to name that rivalry down the road once someone else becomes offended by something. So the Red River conundrum to me was simply, if we're saying none of these teams is going to win 10 games, I know OU and Texas play. One of them's got to win. And preseason, they were the one and two, I think, in the Big 12 in terms of odds. So I thought the winner of that game got one of their toughest games out of the way, and they will have an otherwise manageable schedule. I just thought someone was going to win 10 games. And and not even, A&M got halfway there. Appreciate it, guys. Oklahoma just a little bit more than halfway there. And Texas, try as they might, they couldn't even get there. And they beat OU 49 to nothing and still couldn't get there. So we had a mixed bag in the prediction category, but I appreciate the exercise nonetheless. I remember, um, I remembered at the beginning of the show to remind you our show's going to be early on Tuesday, the night after the title game. But Sunday, which is our next show, will be live from L.A., normal time. I don't know how much you pay attention to the weather, but just biblical, by California standards, biblical flooding happening on the West Coast. So after all the excitement from people like me who are tired of of freezing in Tennessee, you go to the West Coast, and it turns out there's going to be better weather in Nashville, or Cleveland for that matter than there will be in Southern California next week. I know you guys are upset they won't let you tailgate in the parking lot out there at SoFi Stadium. Horrendous decision making, by the way. But they won't let you tailgate. It may not matter uh, because you may have needed a canoe to do it anyway. So I guess that's one bright spot. Nevertheless, we'll see you guys out there. I know a lot of you will be out there. I know a lot of our Southern California brethren will just meander over because you can. I look forward to seeing you. Make sure you stop by and say hello. we got two live shows from just outside of SoFi Stadium. Until Sunday night. Appreciate you guys so much. For Director calling for Producer Jesse, I'm Josh Bate. Take care. Have a great rest of your evening, and God bless.